This morning we're going to be reading from the gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to them, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrapping. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Good morning, Lord. We thank you for we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together with family and friends and loved ones on this Easter morning and to celebrate you. We thank you for the opportunity to sing together, to laugh together, to worship together. To share talents together with the playing of instruments and the singing of songs. And and now together, we turn to your scriptures. We ask that you might, might open us up to the story. That we might hear it fresh and anew. And that through this hearing, we might be transformed by your Holy Spirit into the people that you have called and created us to be. We pray all this in your most holy and precious name. Amen. So, every uh, year on Easter, we, um, I'm going to put this away, it's bothering me. We, uh, we, we generally will read from this same story, right, from one of the four, one of the four Gospels. This, if you're not familiar, there's, there's what's called the Synoptic Gospels, which are the first three. And those first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're very similar, and they're called Synoptic because they believe that they, um, they used each other as sources. And so, and there's also this other source, so it's not, it's not important. We'll get into that. But they believe that they sort of use the, each other and use the same thing to put together their gospels. Now, they're in different order because they have different stories they want to tell. 
Um, even though it's the same story, they have different points. And then there's the Gospel of John, which everyone's like, yeah, that was interesting. And so, um, so you've got these four Gospels, and this is one of the only stories that actually shows up in all four Gospels. Even the Christmas story is not in all four Gospels. This one is. And so I started thinking to myself, like, what's the... Let me read them. So I went back and I, and I read all four of the accounts. And some of them, there, there's, there's similarities, right? And of course, there's differences. Um, and then I went back and I read it in the Greek. And I found something really interesting. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But something I noticed right off the bat, is that there is something completely unique in this particular version of this story, in the Gospel of Luke. And it's this. It's the only place where the, the people or the person or whatever that, that meets the women who have come, meets them there, um, and so it's the only one that the question of them is asked, why are you looking for the living one among the dead? The only one that asked the question. And, and it's very, and I want to make sure that we get this too. And I love, actually really liked the way this translation put it when it says this. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Sometimes it says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? That's, that's too generic. The question is, why are you looking among the dead? And actually, the way the Greek is, is you could, I would even translate it this way. Why are you looking among the dead for the living one? For the, the one who's alive. And so I was like, wow, that's, that's really interesting. I wonder why this gospel has that question when the other ones don't. And so I thought, you know, um, maybe to find the answer to that, we need to look back and see what Luke's been talking about in his gospel all along. Right? Because, I mean, if he's got it in there, then there's something going on in his story that this probably ties to. Does that make sense? Like, right? Anybody, like, watch movies? <laughs> all right. Like, I, I don't watch movies. I read books. Even better. <laughs> right? But, but, you know, like, if you get in there and there's this thing and you're like, oh, my gosh, that, that might have been an important line right? Or you get to the end of the movie, you're like, wow, okay, I see how that connected back. That's what these authors are doing. And so what's going on? And so the gospel of Luke begins with this arrival of an unlikely king. And it's very important that we understand that Luke is really portraying Jesus as a king. And names him, he's named Jesus, but he's born into this uh, poor, hum humble circumstances, unlike other kings. He grows up to become a teacher and a prophet, he goes throughout Israel calling people to this radical way of life, something different than what they've been taught at this point, where enemies become friends, the poor are cared for. That's not new, just something maybe they had forgotten. Uh, and people find forgiveness for their failures. He went from town to town inviting people to follow him and live under God's reign in this upside-down way. Throughout like he, he teaches these things, right? He's a teacher, he's a prophet. So like, for example, in chapter seven, uh, there's this story where he performs a miracle and he's going into this town. He goes into this town and there's this woman. Now this woman is a widow and um, which 
in that culture makes her very vulnerable. She's a widow, and he comes, he, he like meets her. He's coming into the town. She's coming out of town because she's part of a funeral procession. And what he realizes is this is her son who has died. So not only has she already lost her husband, now she's lost her son. And Jesus raises that son from the dead. And could you just imagine for a moment how that woman felt in that moment? Right? She, I mean, she was at the lowest of low, vulnerability-wise, within that culture. Now, not only, because a lot of times, so the thing was, if you, were, if you became a widow, your, your husband's brothers are supposed to marry you, one of them, like the next one in line, so that you don't become destitute, because you don't own a thing. Right? And then the best you could hope for, if he doesn't have brothers is that maybe you have a son and your son will then be able to provide for you. And now the son is dead as well. But then he's not. Circumstances completely changed. A little bit later in that same chapter, John's disciples, John the Baptist, the one who baptized Jesus and, and had been telling people about that Jesus is coming, uh, his disciples come and they find Jesus because John is now in prison. If you continue to read the story, John ends up dead. But he's in prison at this point and he sends his disciples to Jesus and he says, hey, please tell me this was all worth it. it please tell me that, that this has all been worth it. And Jesus says this. Um, he says this, go back to John and tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to those, to the poor. It says the disciples left. We can only assume they went back and they were like, yeah, no, this was worth it. This is worth it. A little bit later, chapter 8. Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. Now, his circumstances are completely different than the widow. This guy actually is in quite a position of authority. But even, even in those different circumstances, they have the opportunity to be blessed and to experience a resurrection in their families. See, what you begin to see is no matter if you're the lowest, the most destitute, or you're a person of privilege that you're going to go through things that you need to experience resurrection. No one, no one is protected from death. Then you get to chapter 16 and there's this parable of, it's the parable of Lazarus. Now it's not the Lazarus that you think of being raised from the dead. This is just a parable, right? So Jesus is making this story up. So don't go back and try to figure out if uh, historically or archaeologically or whatever you can decide if this parable was true. Uh, Jesus would say it is true. It's just not historical. Okay. All right. So, so in this story, there's this rich guy. And he dies. Why? Again, no one is safe from that. 
he dies. And uh, this guy named Lazarus also dies. And Lazarus was this poor guy that the rich guy used to step over every day and completely ignore. And um, so now the rich guy is talking to God. And he says, hey, can you, let, can you send Lazarus back to warn my brothers about this? Like, hey, uh-oh, guess what, guys? It's going to happen. Go back and warn them. And Jesus looks at him and says, even if a man came back from the dead and told them, they're not going to believe. They're not going to believe. And then there's this weird story in chapter 20 where this guy wants to follow Jesus and he says, you know, the, uh, um, that's chapter nine, that he says that they, you know, that uh, leave the, he said, I want to follow you, but I got to bury my father first. He's like, hey, let the dead bury them, bury their own. And it almost sounds like what he's saying is, look, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for the living one among the dead? That's an interesting way to look at that. Then he uses a story, he talks about Moses and the burning bush and Moses' response in this conversation with the burning bush, what he hears is that this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the way that it's said, what Jesus is arguing is that this is the God of the living. This is the God of the living. And so what we begin to see as we look through the gospel of, of Luke, what he's trying to say here when he asks the question, why are you seeking the living one among the dead? What he's saying is this, that we worship the God of the living, One of the things that I would want to know is then, why do we think that it doesn't matter until you're dead? He's the God of the living. So so quit worrying about what's going to happen when you're dead. So... So continuing with the story of Luke, what happens is the religious leaders of the day, they're also hoping for God's kingdom, but to them, the message of Jesus is actually a threat, right? They had expected to gain power and prestige when all this went down, but Jesus said that God's kingdom belongs to the poor, to the outsider, and that real power is serving others in love. That's what Jesus is teaching. And this conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders intensifies, and it, gets, it like hits this point in the story of Luke when Jesus, while in Jerusalem, disrupts this temple sacrifices and, and he actually calls Israel's leaders a gang of rebels. Like you're a gang of rebels. You knew that went over well. And so what they do is they arrest him and they accuse him before the Roman authorities. And it's interesting because what they do is he calls them a gang of rebels. And what do they do? They say he's a rebel king. Mmm, isn't that interesting? And then he's handed over for execution. Even though as you read the story, he appears to be really innocent. And he's taken outside the city and he's put to death on false charges. And then this brings us then to where we are in our story this morning, right? It brings us to this final section of the Gospel of Luke. There was a religious leader named Joseph who actually, as one of the religious leaders, opposed this execution of Jesus. And then he requests that he be given the body so that he could bury Jesus in the nearby tomb. Then a couple of days later, we get to our story where some women who had followed Jesus came to, the, to visit the tomb and they found it 
empty and open and empty, right? And then they have this weird encounter with people who are in bedazzled clothes. It's weird, right? Um, and they tell them what we just looked at. And then they run back to the men and they tell the men what happened. And it says this in verse 11, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men. The word that we translate as nonsense is leros in Greek, leros. And it can be translated as nonsense. It can also be translated as idle talk. It's just kind of like blah, 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 blah. Right? It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Stuff to be dismissed. And I would argue that for many today, the story about the resurrection is leros. It's, it's, it's lero, right? It's leros. It is idle talk. Even for those of us in the church, right? Because um, it, 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 we reduce it to something that we simply discuss in our Sunday school classes and in our Bible studies. Preachers speak about it in worship services. And we sing about it in our hymns and our songs. It has become a discussion topic for us. And the question is, if it's a, just simply a discussion question, if it becomes I mean, if it's a discussion topic about something that happened a while ago, are we busy looking for the living God in idle talk? And, and some, I think it also sort of gets discounted as complete nonsense, right? I mean, there, if you want to argue about whether, is this, a historical, is this a historical event? Can you prove this historically? Like, can you, and, and so you go over there, like right now, I've you know, been to Israel a couple times, and like, well, this was where it was, and this is where it was, and this is where it was. And you want to talk about an adventure in missing the point. Where actually did this happen? Do you can prove to me that it actually happened and where it happened? Do you have any of the wood? Like, is there any of the wood left? I would love to see the wood. What kind of wood was it? Right? And then, like, do you remember that few years ago, that big PB, whatever special it was? We found the tomb of Jesus. Right? And then they're like, at the end of it, they're like, maybe. (laughs) Right? It's nonsense. It is complete nonsense nonsense. And we as believers want to engage in it. We're like, no, but I I can. I can prove this to you. I'm going to go back and I'm going to give you historical proof. And we're just like, and we're running around. And the whole time, what we're not doing is experiencing resurrection. We're either engaging it as idle talk or as nonsense. Leros. We're busy looking for the living God in history and in the past. You see, this, this thing, this resurrection, it's not about us sitting back and saying, wow, this is amazing. This is great. He has risen 2,000 years ago. That's, wow. It's not what it's about. This isn't an event that requires us to enter into arguments about whether or not it historically happened. This is a story that we should be living and experiencing for ourselves. There's no need to argue about an historical event when you can actually point to your own experiences. Let me ask you, do you think that the widow whose son was raised from the dead was worried about whether or not she could figure out which tomb Jesus was buried in? 
I'm going to say no. Because she was like, I don't know about all that, but let me tell you, I was, I was at the, I was rock bottom. And now I'm not. We experienced resurrection in this family. Resurrection is something that we can all experience. Right? There are things in this world, experiences that we have. You may actually be experiencing some of this right now. Right? Those experiences that make us feel as if we have died. Right? As if, as if a little piece of us has died. And sometimes, you know what? It has. And it hurts so bad deep down in our soul that you can actually physically feel the ache in your chest. Do you know, do you know what I'm talking about? No? Excellent. I'm the only one. You know what I'm talking about. In fact, I'm willing to bet that right now you're thinking about something and you can feel the ache right now. It's that thing that you think about and it could have been years ago and you still well up. We've, we've all got them. It doesn't matter if you're the, the widow or the richest guy in town. Have you ever met somebody that, yeah, they're walking around, they're breathing, but they're dead. They're just dead inside. They're, they're full of pain. And that pain comes out sometimes as just mean nastiness. Sometimes it comes out as indifference. Sometimes it comes out as sadness. And, and maybe your heart breaks for them. Because you're like, man, they're, they're just dead. And have you ever met somebody who pretends to be alive? And what I mean by that is, is they walk around as if it is the best day they've ever had. You ask them, how are you doing today? And they're like, I'm just too blessed to be stressed. And you know them and you know that they're aching and they're hurting, Right? Or that they've gone through some serious stuff in their lives and they just think that what I'm actually supposed to do is pretend. But here's the thing. You can't fake resurrection. That's called weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> Eventually people catch on. If you don't get the weekend at Bernie's reference, ask someone around you who chuckled, okay? People will catch on. And I, my fear is that too often as Christians, we think what we're called to do is to fake it. But here's the thing. The only way that you can actually experience resurrection is to dive deep into the dark and come out through the other side. You know what I'm talking about, Dean? I know you do. Have you ever met somebody that you know has gone through something. And you look at them and you're like, man, that probably would have broke me. I mean, I'm a wimp. I'm going to be honest with you, right? Like I was dealing with sinus uh, issues since November. I had to have the surgery. I had the surgery. I was having these debilitating, it was headaches. Let's be honest, right? Headaches. I had headaches. And I remember laying there one day with a headache. I was like, dear God, just let me die. <laughs> what, a, what a wimp. Especially like when I look at what some of my friends have been through. 
I have a very dear friend of mine um, who's a little bit older than I am. He went off to college. His senior year, he started um, getting sick. He would have uh, fevers as high as like 103, 104, like these serious, serious issues. Um, He lost 50 pounds during his senior year of college. Just, he would just get sick. He'd throw up. Went to the, nobody could figure out what was going on with him. They're like, I don't know. Um, so he, when, he, when you talk to him, he tells you how fortunate he was because his former youth director at the church he had gone to before going off to college had taken a job with the denomination that he was a part of, and, and the denominational headquarters were in the same town that the colleges that my friend went to. And, and so his former youth director reached out to him and said, why don't you just spend the rest of your, rest of your senior year living with us, and we'll take care of you. And they did. And my friend tells you, he's like, I think that part of the reason I'm alive today is because they did that. And he felt a little bit better, and he enrolled in seminary. He went off to seminary, and his freshman year, it was 1970, um, he, uh, he, got, he started feeling really sick again. And so he went to another doctor, a different doctor, a different town this time, and, and he's telling the doctor, and the doctor says, hold on one second, there's this another doctor I want you to meet. And so he, um, he goes, and the other doctor comes in, and he listens to him, and he says, I think I know what your, what your deal is. And in 1970, my friend was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Um, and then for the, like the next 20 years or so, um, he had, I, I wanted to make sure I had this right, um, he had what is called a perforated bowel. Six times. Six times. Um, he ended up having to go to the Cleveland Clinic four or five times so they could completely open him up and just clean the bowel out completely. And so finally, uh, the Cleveland Clinic told him, look, we can't, we can't do this anymore. You, 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 we physically can't do this anymore. And so we're going to have to send you to a specialist um, down in Cincinnati. And so they found the one good doctor in Cincinnati. That was, that was for my friend Rob, who's from Cincinnati, by the way. So anyway, um, so they found, they found this doctor, Dr. Um, Sadaka. And Dr. Sadaka is like, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to just remove your bowels. And we're going to have to give you a port. Um, and so, so since like 1990, he's been living with that. Just to give you an idea, right? I'm not trying to call my friend old or anything, but think about this for a minute. I was born in 71. I'm, I'm 51 years old. He's been living with this longer than I've been alive. I'm crying. I have a headache. Okay? So they remove it. But then something else begins to happen because when you remove the bowel like that, your body can't retain nutrients. And so, which also includes um, hydration. And so now, today, he is in 
stage four of kidney failure. Just to give you an idea, stage five then begins to require, um, uh, what's the, what, what's the word I'm looking Dialysis, thank you. Um, I knew I'd forget one of the words. And so he's right there, right? Um, oh, and by the way, did I mention he also has skin cancer? Interesting story, too, is that um, he was at the doctor for his skin cancer, and he was signing in, and he looked down, he saw Sadaka, the doctor that had done this procedure on him that had, he had become friends with, because, you know, you have to continue with the follow-up. He looks down, he goes over to his wife who's sitting with him at this appointment, and he says, I just saw Sadaka. I think Dr. Sadaka's here. Dr. Sadaka comes out, and his wife is there with him. His wife has skin cancer, and these two men embrace each other, and they're just full of joy, full of joy at the doctor for skin cancer. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you ever have the, the pleasure of meeting this friend of mine, you would never know any of this. Because you would think this guy has, must have just lived a charmed life because he is the happiest person you would ever meet. He always has a smile on his face. He's He's always ready to give you a compliment. He's always ready to ask you, how are you feeling? He asked me how I'm feeling after my surgery. And I was like, I'm five. <laughs> right? Like, I'm like, I'm not going to tell him I'm sick. Oh, you're not going to believe it, John. I got a headache. <laughs> that person has experienced resurrection. There's, there's something that God is doing in that person's life that they are alive. Don't you want to be alive? But here's the thing, right? I'm telling you right now, don't for a moment believe that my friend has never had dark moments. Because you got to go through the dark to experience the resurrection. Otherwise, you're trying to fake it. And a fake resurrection, you're still dead. See, it's, it's in these moments that resurrection is possible. Situations can be transformed. Death does not have the last word. That's what this story is about today. That's what this story is about today. One last thing about my friend. He will never tell you the story without including all of his friends and how they were there. He will never tell you the story without including how his spouse, she is at her best when he is at his worst. You see, resurrection is something that we can experience. It's also something we can help others experience. Have you ever been in a really, really dark place? And I'm not talking like, you know, like, spiritually. I'm talking about like actually. Like anybody go in a cave before? Right? All right. You've been in a cave. You get to the point where it's dark and then someone is like, all right, let's all turn off our flashlights. Right? And you turn off your flashlight and it's like, it's pitch black. Right? Um, I don't go caving anymore because I'm always afraid like, what if I never come out? <laughs> right? The reason you're willing to go into the dark of a cave is because you know eventually you're going to have to come back out. 
we, we're, we're able to go through the dark things together because we have faith that eventually we're going to come out. So as, as people of faith, here's the question, the last question I have. Imagine for a moment that you're sitting in that tomb and there has to be people outside that are going to push that stone over the opening. And they're going to create the darkness for you. And then there's other people that are going to come along and they're going to push that stone out of the way. And the light's just going to come flooding back in. The question I have for us this morning is people who profess to believe in resurrection, are we the people that push the stone over the opening, causing everyone to experience darkness? Or are we the people that push the stone away so the light can come flooding back in? Amen.